Welcome to Soccer in the States with myself, Johnny Clifford. Uh, this podcast and all podcasts in the first five episodes will be sp- sponsored by Murad.com. That's M-U-R-A-D.com. Code Johnny Football Five for ten percent at checkout. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it. This is a brand new venture for me, one that I've I've had uh, I've had interested in doing for a while. Uh, you know, and I'm I'm glad that I've now got the opportunity to do it. I really enjoyed this podcast with Mr. Paul McGinley. Uh, we spoke about Paul's early life, growing up in England, his Scottish family, a decision to, to come to America for what was just summers to start off with, and how he transitioned from making it a summer gig to, to a full-time job, and uh, all that was involved in his first coaching venture before he eventually moved to Trinity University in 1991, where he still is to this day. He is the fourth most winningest NCAA soccer coach of all time, and he's the actually the most the the most winningest that's still actually with us. Uh, so a, an absolute gentleman of a man, someone I'm very lucky to call a friend, and fantastic interview. Uh, we spoke all about Trinity and and his plans for the future, and a very interesting man. And I hope you guys enjoyed it. You have any feedback? Don't hesitate to reach out to me in the comments section. Tell me if you liked it, if you didn't like it, what you would like to hear. Uh, go easy on the, the technical issues. I'm making mistakes. Obviously, I'm new to this. I'm making mistakes like not recording with a proper microphone. So the sound isn't brilliant all the time, but you guys get the gist and I promise to improve it in the future. Here we are. Hope you enjoy. Okay, welcome to Soccer in the States with Johnny Clifford. Uh, as always, this podcast is sponsored by Murad.com. That's M-U-R-A-D.com for all your men's skincare needs. If you use code JohnnyFootball5 for 10% off at checkout. Today, we're joined by Mr. Paul McGinley. Thanks for coming, Paul. Pleasure to be here. Uh, Paul, we'll, we'll, and from the introduction, you know all about Paul uh, He's been over here in San Antonio for a long time, and one of the one of the founding fathers of uh, San Antonio soccer. Many people say. Uh, so, Paul, just to start, uh, I, I just want to know, like, you, your background, where you grew up. You know, your your mother and father, whereabouts in England you you lived, and I know we've got Scottish family in common. So, can I talk to me about that a little bit? Yeah, seems uh, seems like a long time ago now, Johnny, but. Uh Originally from Corby in England, in Northamptonshire. Yeah. Um, it's a steel mining town, uh, it's a steel production town, and a lot of uh, there was a lot of influx of Scottish people uh, from the Lanarkshire area that moved down to uh, to the town for, for the purposes of uh, employment. Yeah. And uh, it really has been referred to in the Midlands and maybe a little further than that as, as Little Scotland. The population yeah, yeah, is really a huge amount, a huge amount of uh, you know, Scottish people uh, and Irish also. Um, so from an early age, you know, football was just, you know, I guess in the blood. You know, my dad was a, a big Celtic fan, uh, you know, from Scotland and, and uh, you know, that got passed on to me in the firm form of... Uh, football kits for Christmas and yeah you know, it just started early you know and, and in fact if I think back to any Christmas uh, and any birthday there was nothing really that was uh, 
unrelated to soccer that I ever received. It was all everything was football related. It yeah. was boots. It was George Best stylo matchmakers, you know, back in the seventies, and a new ball and a tracksuit and a you know. So so it was it was in the blood from a from the get go. Whether this is folklore or not, uh, I don't know, but I, I would suspect it would be. I still um, get them to this day from my dad. My dad will still give me like the shoot in the match magazine. Yeah. And, Annuals and albums. Yeah. Well, there was two things. There was two things in my bed as I was as I was growing up. Uh, I would I would cheat with Radio Luxembourg at night, uh, listening to uh, uh, I think it was Tony Blackburn then that was broadcasting on a ship, uh, Radio Luxembourg. So that I went to bed with a transistor radio under my pillow, and then there was also football close by. Whether or not it was in the bed or out the bed, it was always close by. Yeah. So, from an early age, it's uh, it was football twenty four seven, and in between time you had to go to school, and uh, you had to eat and you had to sleep. But yeah. other than that, uh, it was a, you know, got fond memories of staying up on Wednesday nights. The whole family going to bed, and my dad and I watching sports night with Coleman, and watching the, uh, you know, the, the European games coming in, Bayern wow. Munich against Liverpool. Um, and uh, and now, 25, 30 years on, uh, some of those players that played in those games uh, are friends. Yeah, you know, Wolfgang Sunholtz is up in uh, uh, up in Austin, and uh, Wolfgang played for the team for the Bayern team against Liverpool when Keegan and Toshak were chasing the ball for the Reds. So it, nothing. All my memories are football related. Yeah, from an early age. Yeah, from an early age. Yeah. And then, uh, kind of growing up, what was, I mean, you, you obviously played yourself growing up. How did that all, the, your kind of early career go as a, yeah, as a young footballer? always played for the school team. And then there was, a, there was an under-12 team uh, called the Red Devils when uh, it was a select team. We didn't know it was a select team at the time, but some parents put together all the best team t players in the neighbourhood. And, and, um, and then the neighbourhood was maybe two miles square, right? right? So we stretched out and then three and four miles to, to find the other guys, which yeah. is no distance now, but then no. it was, you know, it was another country. Um, and, and this select team competed in the, the Leicestershire, Leicestershire Senior League, uh, Junior League, and, um, you know, some of the players went on to do well. But that was, that was the club team. You play for the school team. Yeah. And then uh, because of the nature of the squad, we had a lot of players that went on the representative teams to... Uh, Northamptonshire and, and Great Britain schools, you know, so we were fortunate. And, and you get it was all it was like a working class background, right? Everything yeah, was working class. Yeah, it was. Um, it, it, but the only thing, it seems like it's a you know a detrimental statement to say that. But gosh, it was nothing but nothing but fond memories. I mean, yeah. just great people, great families. Um, uh, I don't. I never really felt like I wanted for anything. Anything. We'd uh, we you know we'd have summer holidays uh, on the coast and sometimes up to Scotland. Yeah. Um, and uh, but it was just a, you know it was nothing but fond memories of, yeah. of of growing up in a you know a, a fortunate family and uh, I'm the oldest of four kids with a younger sister and two younger brothers and um, and so there comes a point in time in your career where. Uh, you know, you're told that you're a useful player, but we have no use for you. Mm -hmm. And that, for me, came at 18. And then at that point in time, then you have to, you have to make a decision about what you're going to yeah. do. So college was, parents really emphasized the, you know, the academic side. So I was fortunate enough to get into the University of London, Borough Road College, uh -huh. um, in 1981. 
Okay. And then from there, which seems like yesterday, which it wasn't, uh, you know, my football career started as a player and then, then as a coach. I guess, and, and then we'll fast forward to you coming over here. So you, you were studying in, in London at the time. And how did the opportunity, I mean, back now it's so common, right? We've got British people everywhere and foreigners True. in every corner. Yeah. Uh, how did the opportunity come about to come to America and, and how did all that, all yeah, that start? Yeah, there was, back then there was a real, and I, I think it's still an ongoing journey for people from the British Isles, you know, jumping over. But there was a company that came, Long Island Soccer Camp, came to our school and they interviewed uh you know, a couple of dozen players for half a dozen positions uh, to go out to New York and spend the summer on Long Island, coach Monday to Friday, have the weekends off, and then uh, have have enough money in your pocket to go traveling afterwards and, and then back to college. So I was just one of the lucky ones at 18 that got to go my first year. And I think there was just one other. And then the, the rest of them were the older boys on the team. So... Uh, Myself and, and Gary Stidder from from uh, Brighton, we uh, we embarked on a journey together to uh, to the U.S. and we picked up at JFK. And at 18 years old, we were just you know throwing the keys to coaching soccer on Long Island. And and uh, so I'm you know grateful for that program to you know to get me to the United States yeah, to start. That with. brought you over. And uh, I mean, how how was that back then? Like. I mean, what what year roughly was that? that yeah, that was that was the summer of that was the summer of nineteen eighty two, no nineteen eighty one. That was the summer of nineteen eighty one, and Doctor Menachem Less, who was the head coach at Adelphi University, he picked Gary and I up in a whole beaten up station wagon that he used for transporting coaches around the island, and um, and picked us up at JFK and dropped us off at a dorm room of Adelphi University, and and. A, we somehow got the job of setting up the camp, so we came out a week early before the rest of the arrival of the coaches. And, um, and from that moment on, um, it was every summer for six or seven years. And uh, my good friend Gary Book, uh, a relation to Tony Book from, uh, Tony Book was his uh, uncle. Oh. Uh, Tony played at Man City for a yeah. long while. Gary was from the from the Bath area of England. Uh, he and I grew to the dizzy heights of directing the camp, um, and we embarked on community camps going across all of Long Island. Uh, but we had two bases, one in LaSalle Military Academy out in Oakdale, and one in Garden City. And it was all English coaches, all English coaches uh, that would come over every year, and we'd have camps with uh, 300 kids uh, in residence every week, and uh, and what, um, what was soccer in America like at that time? Like well, what? the NESL was was fading at that time. Yeah. It, was, it was strong in the seventies. That was after Beckenbauer and Paley. Yeah, and just guys. after, just after. Uh, so, so we went to see some Cosmos games uh, in the Meadowlands, uh, and one in particular. That was, you know, as we know now, the. The Americans were pretty big on double headers, so the double header was uh, was New York Cosmos playing Fort Lauderdale Strikers, right. and uh, 
and then the Beach Boys played afterwards and they came out and their T-Birds and you know it was yeah. God bless America you know it's like you, you just don't see this back home no and, and, and they had the they used to have the dribble ups right if a game they was did. a draw yeah, they would the, dribble uh, up from the halfway 30, line yeah 30 yards out uh, yeah it would be the shootout if it got what, what were you guys thinking at that stage were you just like well, what is this place yeah like, it's just you know they had their own variation on the, on the game I mean the field was uh, was a football field with all the lines so it looked like a scrabble board yeah um, and I think at that time my impression of it was it was they were trying to grow the game in the country and bring in some superstars like Naiskins and, and Beckenbauer and Pele obviously yeah. uh, Rodney Marsh and Rodney a lot of the a lot of the English right. players came across for what seemed like a vacation um, and I think that's how they treated it for the most part you know it wasn't a disciplined uh, setup it was more of a vacation but the crowds were I mean, Meadowlands was 60, 70, 80,000 people. Yeah, brilliant. It was, uh, it was just a remarkable time. So I guess from, from there, where did the transition go from, from being a guy that came over in the summer to being someone that were like, okay, I'm gonna, this is going to be my home now? Yeah, well, the, the, of all the cities to, to go to school in, uh, London was you know, offered pretty much everything you would want. So yeah. I went through a, a great time period in the early 90s at the early 80s of, of uh, experiencing not just the education but what London had to offer and met a lot of good friends who in fact are, are uh, here in the United States you know right now uh, that either came over in under the similar circumstances or came over as uh, a friend that I recommended take a look at this and they've come over and uh, you know and, and, and stayed here since uh, so the transition happened in, in 87 when I, I decided um, there seemed to be a greater opportunity for what I wanted to do in, in, in the US than in England and so I embarked on a coaching position with the College of Worcester in uh, Worcester, Ohio. Okay. Okay, so you moved over to Ohio. Uh, I mean that's very different from New York obviously, so how did you visit there first or? Uh, no. No, it was, uh, it, there was, I was offered the position of uh, assistant coach in the men's soccer program and in order to try and make things happen in terms of being able to uh, eat and sleep and be covered in the early, this is the early 80s, so uh, mid 80s, so there was a, the investment in soccer wasn't terrific. Yeah. So I had to double up as the residence hall director. Okay. Uh, so I had a place to stay and, and, and a meal plan and uh, cut my teeth in, in coaching. Yeah, and and how long did your career stay there before you you kind of moved on here? And was that a, a transition that you knew you were going to make, or you? Well, assistant, you know, every assistant coach wants to be a head coach, right? So, yeah, uh, had the had the opportunity there with uh, Bob Nye uh, has since passed, and and uh, he let me do a lot of the recruiting. He gave me the opportunity to coach. He'd been involved in the game in this country for you know, 30, 40 years, dating back to Springfield College, which was the, the PE college in, in the US. And so he gave me, uh, he really gave me the opportunity to take the reins, um, maybe more than other assistants. And so in 1991, the position at Trinity University became available. It was the, the first full-time head coaching position that the school had offered. And um, I interviewed in April, and was hired later that month and moved down in the summer and 
27 years later, here I sit. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, when you first came to Trinity, I mean, what was, the, what was the environment like here and what, I mean, did I suppose a lot of coaches that I've personally been around are always, you know, going for the next step and moving on, but it seems that you've came here and, and kind of just developed a whole new way of doing things and a new culture. I mean, yeah. I suppose you could never have envisioned that, but what, what was your, I mean, what was it like here when you first got here and, and what was your, your immediate plans and, I guess, well, the problems? Probably there was two things that appealed. Uh, number one, the opportunity to be a head coach. Yeah. And then the opportunity for at least 320 days a year not to be freezing. Yeah. You know, the, the, uh, the, the weather in Ohio is similar to some of the weather patterns we have in England. So down here in San Antonio, when I interviewed in April, I left snow in Ohio and I stepped off the plane, it was 82 degrees, you yeah. know, so there, there, there was a real, you know, the, the climate uh, had an initial appeal. And then Trinity, uh, I was coming into a program where the only way was up. Um, it was rock bottom of a pretty mediocre conference at the time. And I thought to myself, the school, uh, is had resources it was a had a pretty good endowment it was in a great city and then anything that was going to happen in the future was going to be my fault so i i took it as a great opportunity at 27 years old uh to be offered the position and um you know 27 years later here we are i mean and if we fast forward 27 years now i mean you're now the the fourth most winningest soccer coach in the NCAA with the yeah. first three sadly no longer being with us. No longer with us, yeah. Uh, I mean, like tremendous achievements here and, and I, I go over, you know, can I go to the, the 2003 team that, that won the national tournament? That was your first national tournament, It right? was, yeah. Uh, we, we got to the, f the final four the year before and lost in the semis and then uh, we returned the next year and, and uh, we won the national championship 24-0 yeah. uh, with a just a tremendous group of kids. Twenty-four and all, and that was the that was the first NCAA championship the school had won, and actually anyone in the state of Texas had won. Right. Uh, right. I mean, I guess talk to me a little bit about that team. Like, what, what with the getting to the final four the year before, did you sense that you know we can we can do that? Was yes. it a young team with a lot of kind of. Yeah, we had a young team the year before. Uh, graduated very few seniors, and it was just a real feeling that the players within the squad, this is reachable, we can do this, you know, yeah. we, we, we can come back. And I remember sitting down uh, with the team, we played on the Canadian border at St. Lawrence University, we were just surrounded by, it was a snowstorm there, we were surrounded by, you know, mounds of snow, six feet high. Uh, they had to clear the field with shovels, we played on a turf field where it was originally scheduled on grass, but a snowstorm just ended that. And we sat in the snow and said, we're coming back. We're coming, we will come back here next year and we're going to win this thing. And uh, it wasn't easy, obviously, but we went through 23 games in the, in the semifinal, to the semifinal game and we were 43 seconds away from competing for the national championship, uh, our next game, and the opposition scored. Right. So we were nearly there and it went into overtime and uh, the, the, I still remember being in the huddle with the players and one player in particular, Tyler Ring, who I'm still regularly in touch with, he's in Houston now, he said, we're not coming off this field uh, losers, we're gonna come off this field winners. And with a minute 26 left on the clock, 
uh, Josh Smith played a ball through to Chris Quinn, a local kid, and uh, and Chris Quinn toe poked at far post, and the next next game was to play for the national championship. So yeah. it was just fond memories to have the best man at my wedding uh, on the um, sidelines, uh, who lived in the neighboring town, along with uh, my dad. Right. He was over and flew up for the game and. So the, uh, maybe the stars were all aligned that you know, I couldn't really lose with that audience. And yeah, and how did that? I mean, I guess as like a as a young guy from you know a humble background in England, and and how did that all? I mean, how did that feel like you know like taking a team as you said that was the only way that was up? Like, wow, we've just won the national tournament, the first yeah. team in Texas to ever win yeah. one, perfect record. Yeah. I mean, how how was that? And I, how I, I I can distinctly remember it. That you know that there was a. The biggest emotion, to be honest, was just relief. It was relief. It was, you know, as a coach, and, and all coaches go through this, most of what we do is suffer. And this was just the end of the suffering. Yep. <laughs> we've, we've won the championship. Yep. And, uh, and came back the next year and won 19 straight games to lose in the quarterfinals and put together a streak of 43 consecutive wins. No, no losses, no ties. And that still stands as a an NCAA record and with the modern game I don't know that that's going to be no, beaten no. you know I don't know so it was a special group of kids in 02, 03, 04 and, and I guess how did it go from, from there like at one point you know with great success I'm sure you had a lot of other universities and other I mean programs and clubs and, and at the door and, and what made you decide Kind of related, maybe similar to something like Jeremy Gunn's doing right now mm -hmm. at Stanford, that he's now yeah. won back to back to back. Like, yeah. what what gave you the dedication to stay here? And and when other universities or clubs were possibly knocking at the door, yeah. what made you decide? No, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to build. And well, it was a, it, it's. I'm certainly not going to put myself in the same category, but when you learn from people like Wenger and Ferguson, who have who have got stability in programs where they've stayed there in excess of two decades. Um, it, it, I think there's uh, there's there's uh, a, a great sense that the building hasn't ended, and I don't feel now that we've accomplished everything. Twenty seven years in, I still wake up and I just got off the phone with a kid in Portugal, and you know we've got a local kid that I think is fantastic coming in this year, and and so the energy to to, to stay and build at at Trinity, uh, I don't see that ever. You know, ever ending. Yeah. The only time it will end is when you know when the when the whistle gets hung up. You know, and, <laughs> That's it. And it will be here. It will be at Trinity. Uh, Nothing can pull me away. Well, that's 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 very admirable. Uh, I mean, certainly to put yourself in, in like the, the the way that it's went and the, the the records that you've now got. I mean, I guess it's just it's it's set the benchmark and and. I mean, you, you won't call yourself that, but everyone calls you the godfather of, of soccer in San Antonio, and he's the godfather. But I mean, as you said, like the, mo the the fact that you've been able to get that motivation to go up every day and keep building every year. Yeah. Uh, well, so what helps is players. I mean, it's a player's game. Bobby Robson said the game is at all times in in the hands of the players, and you know, as much as coaching is important in in uh, this country, especially with basketball and football. And, baseball being strategic obviously there's tremendous athletes that play those games but there is uh, there is the feeling with the game of football soccer 
that the game is in the hands of the players and yeah. you really have to have an understanding that if you provide the right environment the right culture the right motivation it's in their hands you know although it seems like a hundred years ago I remember being a player yeah. and uh, you know and, and everything that that brings so to be able to now be a coach uh, I don't know that there's a better position in the world than coaching a football team. Yeah, we feel like we never we never actually have to work a day in our lives, right? We're, well, we're never not yeah, working, but we never actually right. work. Yeah, there's no off button uh, unless you press it yourself and you're just not inclined to yeah. to do that. And, and we now have the Paul McGinley Stadium here. It was renovated in 2011. And, yeah, what uh, a big honour to be able to have that, you know, to have usually, your, you know, you're below ground when, when those things happen. So to have our president, uh, Dr. Olberg, take a leadership role and um, dedicate the ISA Memorial, which was a memorial created for one of our players that passed, and then to play on Paul McGinley Field, to have my, my son and daughter and my, my uh, wife and family there was just, uh, you know, it was a special day. And your wife graduated from Trinity too? She did, right? she did. She uh, graduated in the class of 92. Uh, we met in 94 here in San Antonio. And then I made the decision to propose at the top of the Eiffel Tower in Paris, and ah, uh, that's and, brilliant. And, and, and so I guess the only answer was yes. You know, I had to create an environment where the only answer was yes. Yeah. And she said yes, so we're still here. And you've got you've got a son and a daughter, Claire and Dylan. Yeah, Claire right? is the oldest at fifteen. She's about to be sixteen, and Dylan is uh, thirteen. Uh, playing locally for the San Antonio uh, FC Academy, so Brilliant. one's a thespian, one's a football player, so they're following the roles of their their parents. Excellent. Uh, I mean, I guess we're finishing up by you know just talking about. You, you mentioned there that you still have the drive every day to get up and do this. I mean, what 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 what, what does the future hold for Paul McGinley? And what is you know, I guess what. You've created your own legacy that's well known here, not just in San Antonio or Texas, but across the, the United States. But you know, what, what, what's next for you, and what, what, what's still on your your back burner? What's your goals that you've still got? Yeah, we, we I, I'd like to I'd like to leave uh, a, a large pot of gold for um, for the person that succeeds me as the head coach, uh-huh. and by that I mean you know something that goes into our discretionary account. That makes the journey for that person a little bit easier. Um, funding always helps. Yeah. You know, you look at some of the big clubs around the world. You know, it's Barcelona and Bayern and Man City and Man United. And you know, they're large. They have a large, large pots of gold and largest, large support. Uh, so I'd like to leave uh, that. I, I think we've still got some work to do at the uh, stadium, uh, just south of here, and. Um, I don't think we're done with championships. I mean, you know, if they're available, you know, we want to be in the hunt for them. So the drive is trying to identify, select and recruit players that can help you do that. Yeah. I remember Sir Alex Ferguson said to Roy Keane, you, you know, you want to be a good coach? And Roy said, yeah, he said, get good players. Uh, he said, you want to be a great coach? Get great players. Get great players, yeah. You know, so so the the ability of the players coming in and, and their progress and opportunities that they have here, um, you know, that's and there's nothing greater than, you know, game day and Friday night games under the lights here and uh, you know having the players every day and the training opportunities. I mean, again, you know, we're we're stealing here because you know we don't feel that we're working. You yeah. know, it's, it, we're just doing what we love. Yeah. I mean, and looking back on your time, 
I guess you know you can be. It's a great position to be in that you can say, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I can be proud of what I've done. I can look back and have such fond memories, but I'm not done yet. Right. He said there are still right. championships to oh. be up for grabs. Why not? Let's go and get them, right? Yeah, I mean, it, we've been fortunate the last six years. Uh, well, we've won 19 of the last 20 conference championships, but in the last six years, you have to win the you have to win the league, and then you have to win the tournament mm -hmm. afterwards. So we've been fortunate enough to do that in six different locations, and the the I think the report has changed. I haven't changed, but the report has changed. So they come up and say, you know, doesn't this get old? You know. Winning these championships, does it get old? Is it? It's the opposite of old. It's fresh. Yeah. This is the first championship we've won this year. It's fresh. Yeah. So uh, having that understanding that that you've got the calendar every year to uh, to have a rebirth and then go chase uh, extending your season as long as you can go. It's all fresh. Nothing is old. No. You know, it's the opposite of old. Right. Well, Paul, I mean, that's, uh, thank you for joining us today. Uh, I'm sure everybody will be interested to listen to that. Uh, any, any potential San Antonio recruits who are trying to get in touch with you can find your email on the website. Yes, they can. They, they, they've got my cell phone also, and we've already, already started to dig deep into the junior class in San Antonio for next year, and we're fortunate enough to have, in my opinion, two of the best players in this year's senior class. Um, coming our way next year which will make my life a little bit easier yeah. I won't disclose who they are in case some of the other schools yeah. try and steal them <laughs> but uh, we're, uh, I, I'm in a happy spot right now with, uh, with our local talent Excellent, well thank you Paul thanks for joining us and uh, we'll be back soon Pleasure Johnny, thank you Bye bye